If Fog Could Sing Stories by Charlie Price Disaster by Charlie Price Read by Robert Price Rosie Natural was on her way to a rehearsal at the college. She made her way briskly along the dual carriageway in her car, slowing only where absolutely necessary. She was highly strung and gripped by one of her untimely episodes of crippling avidity, where her heart palpitated and her pupils dilated. She was repeatedly seized by the notion that she'd forgotten her bassoon or left it somewhere. She kept having images of the bassoon in its black, cushioned case, sitting quite alone and abandoned in a reception area. And then a meddling receptionist would call the police and officers would handle it and remove it, treat it with outrageous suspicion and ultimately dispose of it, maybe in a crusher. No matter how often she glanced behind her and observed the bassoon, There, safe, strapped by seatbelt into the rear left passenger seat, she could never go more than about two minutes without fearfully looking behind her again to check her instrument was still there. She stopped at some traffic lights. She slowed in good time, seeing a red disc up ahead. But at an inopportune moment, she looked behind her, as was her wont, to check her bassoon was still there. The traffic lights flashed amber. There was a straggler, a boy of about eleven or twelve who was walking alone, and Rosie Natural shot forward in her car a few seconds prematurely and ran over the boy. The traffic lights showed green. But she didn't seem to notice, even as her wheel arches clogged and the vehicle jumped as she passed over the squashed ruin of the boy's body. She noticed the minutes passing, and time racing. She parked her car in the car park outside the college and unbelted her bassoon, slinging the instrument case over her shoulder by its strap. She hurried up the steps past the reception, lost her way down green and gleaming corridors and had to stop and reorientate herself twice. Panting, she softened her hurry and listened. She heard the flurrying sounds of clarinets and flutes when a piano ascending and descending across the sizable spans of their range and she let herself be led by the sounds of the instruments to the rehearsal room. With great relief, she located the noise's source and appeared in the doorway. The conductor, with score and baton underarm and a plum towel overarm, was with two musicians, a man in pyjamas holding a kazoo and another man in a gimp suit and angel wings holding a lyre. Rosie Natural approached the conductor and the two soloists with her bassoon around her neck. The three men looked at her with stifled horror. 
She expected keen words of welcome, but something about Rosie Natural filled them with trepidation, though she had no idea what that might be. The conductor barked the order to get started on their work, and Rosie Natural's mind was soaring. She was seated. She had her music. She constructed her bassoon. With ritual lovingness, she joined the joints and birthed brown notes into life. A dubious A440 went through the winds at the oboe's solemn command. The oboe had pre-tuned with the piano's A, which perhaps explained the trace of sharpness Rosie gleaned. But with no less devotion. She united herself to the oboe's imperfect A, squeezing her mouthpiece tightly into its upper socket. The figurative stage was set, and a beginning was possible. Rosie Natural was in a state of benumbed bliss. She depersonalized at such moments. Music filled her. She became anonymous and faceless. The bassoon lodged in her mouth. She was deliciously obscured in the mask and wall of brown sound. She issued forth and bequeathed to the room's stone-hearted and earless apathy. The conductor breathed a preparatory breath and lifted his pregnant baton arm. Chords in clarinets and flutes tranced. With Rosie Natural's bassoon softly beginning to link arms with a bass clarinet behind her, in stern and desolate creeping figures, while the piano began to twinkle, spreading necklaces of notes like silk strands in a cave. Then, the kazoo began singing a brash, plaintive note which stretched into a nasal and Martian melody, sensitively deployed. And floated forth from the pajama man's mouth. Then, all accompaniamental sounds dropped away gradually. Rosie Natural was the last to go, affectionately prolonging a low and lingering note until the conductor ceased her, and the man in the gimp suit and silver wings began to strum his lyre like a dark angel. Accompanying chromatic messages, uglily buzzing from the kazoo's weird pipe, Rosie was lulled into a stupor. Measure on measure of the hypnotic music passed. She almost didn't notice her entry coming up, as the cadenza of kazoo and lyre drew to a close. She prepared herself, lifted up the bassoon, and lodged the mouthpiece in her mouth. The conductor's eyes were fixed on her eyes. His baton rose in amazing preparational slowness. Moist brows furrowed. But something caught Rosie Natural's eye, stunned her, shot a bolt through her. The lyre man in the latex gimp suit with angel wings on his back turned and grinned a lethal. And accusatory grin at her. Now, the conductor's arms and eyes said. A huge, bum note burped from Rosie Natural's bassoon. The note 
was hideously wrong. Pure floor made sound, a marring boom. It was the voice of pure horror, pure horrendous realization. The boy, her mind exclaimed, "The boy, the boy!" She screamed, throwing her bassoon aside, getting up, knocking over stands, crying out. Still, over and over again with mounting intensity, the boy, the boy. I ran over a boy with my car. She hurried outside. She disappeared from the room. She was incandescent. She was sick. She was glistening. She burst in and out of corridors all the time, crying out, "The boy, the boy, the the." the. Her mind, full of nothing, but his shut eyes and ruefully pale face, a maimed body lying lovelessly in the reddened road. In the rehearsal room, the helpful pianist picked up the fallen stands and then returns to her stool. The conductor apologized to the soloist and ensemble, and declaimed to them all the rehearsal mark they would pick it up from, returning to the music as though to a prayer, perturbed by its disturbance, as though it were a prayer. Just before they resumed, the conductor muttered off-handedly to the gathered players, "What a disaster she was! Someone." Anyone, get me a decent bassoonist before tomorrow. I thought she was a killer bassoonist. The kazoo man said a little goofily. What tone? I thought she was unstable. The winged gimp said, and that wrong note she did before hurrying off, disgusting. I thought she was all right. A little voice from the little orchestra said. I thought she was a cunt. The conductor said, and with a breath and lifting gesture of his arms, the music was resurrected.